Elliot and I recently, uh, over the summer, did a rewatch of all of the uh, recent Marvel movies, starting with Iron Man in 2008. And there are a lot of them. There are a couple that I had not seen. But by the end, when you get to Endgame, Avengers Endgame, there are like 30 major superheroes. And it takes all of them working together to defend the Earth. Now, when I was growing up, it only took one, uh, Superman. Now, sure, Spider-Man protected neighborhoods and Batman protected Gotham, but Superman protected the entire globe all alone. In the 1978 film starring Christopher Reeve, still the greatest Superman by far, the news media gets wind of a mysterious person who had been buying up huge stretches in the middle of the desert in the American Southwest and paying gigantic sums of money for it. Now, it seemed ludicrous because who would want this land, first of all, and who would pay more than it's worth? Well, the land buyer turns out to be, you guessed it, Lex Luthor. And he's buying up all of this useless land because he plans to detonate a nuclear bomb in the San Andreas Fault, the result of which would be, obviously, that California would fall into the Pacific Ocean, leaving him with fantastically valuable beachfront property in Arizona. It's a totally believable premise. These strange people... Uh, these, sorry, strange purchases make people think that he must have had a reason and that he wasn't just crazy. Well, he did, and he wasn't, or at least not in that particular way. He did have a plan. The prophet Jeremiah has been speaking to the people of Jerusalem or of Judah for close to four decades and he's an old man now. And he's been telling them for 40 years, repent, change your ways, throw off your selfish desires and return to your calling as my people. And bring your life into conformity with my promises. In other words, act as followers of God, loving him and serving the world. To God, mere words aren't enough, and words can offer religious cover for a life of selfishness and corruption. A religion of words rather than deeds actually presumes upon God's grace and makes a sham of true faith. But for decades, he's been going back to the leaders of Judah and his Words have fallen mostly on deaf ears. And like many radical preachers before and to come throughout history, he's thrown into jail, imprisoned by Zedekiah, the king of Judah. But God tells Jeremiah an open secret that reality is far different than it seems. Without God's protection, Judah has no chance against their powerful enemies, the Babylonians. And Zedekiah's reign is as good as over. 
he tells Jeremiah to do something foolhardy, do something outrageous, to buy back a parcel of land that belonged to Jeremiah's family, but which is now overrun by the Babylonians. So it is presently worthless. It would be like investing in a fortune in GameStop stock tomorrow. In verse 15, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. There's a future for this land, Jeremiah, for you, for Judah, a future that you can't see yet. Even as Babylon is on your doorstep, God is telling Jeremiah that he promises him that this will not be the end of Israel or of my plan or of his plan for the world. And God wants Jeremiah to buy into that hope, to buy into it literally. God is describing a future that exists as surely as does the present that Jeremiah inhabits. And he invites Jeremiah to live into that future now. Now, in the immediate circumstances, in terms of everything that Jeremiah could see with his own eyes, this made zero sense, financial or otherwise. But houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land, God tells him. Now, wouldn't your next question, I know mine would be, when? When is this going to happen? How long do I have to dump my resources into this parcel of land and have it not pay back? Have people make fun of me, me to feel like a fool for throwing my money away on a worthless piece of land that is occupied by our enemies? When will this be? When will I see a return on this investment? You know, maybe we are willing to live by faith and not by sight, as the New Testament tells us, for a time, for a period. But without some tangible evidence that our hope is indeed worthwhile, we begin to feel cheated. We begin to feel like we've made a bad investment. It was far easier for Judah, for Jeremiah, to see Babylon's swords and horses and chariots and their power than to believe God's intangible promises about the future that they didn't know when was going to come. If Babylon's overwhelming power, if their chariots and horses and swords is the final word, if it represents ultimate reality, then what Jeremiah is doing is exceedingly wasteful. It's irrational. It's mad. But if, in fact, God's voice is that which determines ultimate reality, if it's God's power and his promises which determine the future, then Jeremiah's actions are not irrational. They are the height of wisdom. In 2005, 6, 7, 
you'll probably remember, people were almost printing money by investing in the housing market. It was the surest of sure investments. And not only banks and hedge funds, but individual middle-class homeowners were striking it rich by buying property. The Big Short by Michael Lewis was a book and then later became a really good film about the crazy investors who believed that all of this money-making, all of this wealth creation was just a house of cards. And there were a few savvy investors that staked their careers on this belief. They purchased, as it were, fields at Anathoth in the form of complicated investment instruments to bet against the housing market during the time when many people were buying homes, not even to live in them or even to rent them out, but just to sit on them and watch the equity and watch their paper money grow. But a few people, Steve Eisman, Michael Burry, Greg Lippman, they looked at the underlying financial conditions and wondered why no one else could see what they saw. They believed that all of this equity was a mirage and that the current reality was passing. It was considered foolish, preposterous, a career-ending stunt to choose to short the housing market. But in a very real sense, the ones who laughed at them were living in the world as it almost used to be. And these three savvy investors, as told in the film, they were living in the world as it actually was, or at least as it was about to be. Now to see that, to believe that those numbers that they were looking at, the financial documents that they were uncovering that other people weren't seeing or just ignoring, to believe that they were correct, that would be insight. And you could probably give them credit for seeing something that someone else was unable to or unwilling to see. But believing the numbers were correct wouldn't be faith, at least not as the Bible understands it. Instead, they acted upon their convictions. They activated their hope. Jeremiah's job was to help Judah, which is the southern part of Israel that is now divided. Jeremiah talks about it in his book, sometimes as Judah, sometimes as Israel together. But Jeremiah was to help Judah to see a reality that was not yet present, but was sure to come. And not only to believe that it was to come, but to live into that promised future. In our over-intellectualized cognitive world, with highly cognitive conceptions of faith, we need stories like this. We need visual depictions like this. We need anecdotes like this. That faith is not synonymous with belief. They are two different things. Faith is not assenting to a set of beliefs or propositions about God, but it is an ongoing practiced relational trust.
That's what the Bible means when it talks about faith. It is a practiced relational trust. And hope, hope is more than mere persuasion. It's more than just a wish or a desire about the future. It's more than just thinking that tomorrow can be different than today, but it is a conviction that will be evidenced by concrete action. Hope involves action, decision-making. Believing, for example, that God is able to restore a broken relationship, it does honor God in, in some way. It gives him a claim for having that power, but believing that is sort of abstract. While it recognizes his power and authority, it doesn't demand anything of us. Hope instead actively imagines a future becoming reality for the purpose of living into it. So in the case of a broken relationship, hope actively imagines the restoration of that relationship. And then faith knocks on and opens that person's door so that restoration can take place. Believing that it can doesn't really get us anywhere. It takes hope. It takes faith. God working through those instruments. Now, Jeremiah does something that most prophets won't do. He puts his money where his proverbial mouth is. He buys into hope, literally. Every few years, we hear about a new end-of-the-world scenario, a new end-of-the-world prophet predicting rapture or apocalypse on a certain year or a certain day. What we don't often hear about is those same doomsayers signing over the title of their house to a local orphanage, liquidating their retirement fund to feed hungry people often their followers do, to fund the prophet's ministry. But I've never seen a prophet make a prediction about an apocalypse or a rapture whereby they liquidate their own property. What I would say about those people in these situations is that they have a, an opinion about the end of the world, maybe even a strong persuasion. They believe that they're right, but there's not an active hope. There's not a practiced faith, at least not in the way that Jeremiah is describing. They hedge their bets while Jeremiah doesn't. Now, it's easy to pick on these guys, right? Pick on the people that are fleecing their followers by predictions about the future. But even if we believe that we have a more sensible, a more credible Christianity, so much of our lives can look a lot more like equivocation than we probably would like to think. It can look more like hedging our bets than leaning into a promised future. Even though this story that we have from Jeremiah is very ancient and culturally distant, Jeremiah is facing literal swords and slavery. This strange purchase is imminently relevant and more similar than we might first think. 
And it's very relevant as we, as I said during the announcements, turn the corner into a, a period of hope, but yet a period that has a very indeterminate future. What Jeremiah depicts in rather dramatic fashion is the result of the very same choice that we face every day in dozens of superficially minor decisions. Decisions like, will I overwork as a hedge against, against an unknown future? Will I overstress my mind, my body, my family, worrying about tomorrow? Will I overfixate on negative comments because I'm over-dependent on others' opinions rather than God's stable love? Will I oversave? Will I overprotect my time instead of creating margins from which I can invest in God's future? The claim that God is the reality underneath the world that we live in, that he is the nevertheless to all that is broken and sad about our lives and about our world remains abstract. It remains notional unless we choose to live as if God's nevertheless actually matters, unless we act to manifest it in our lives. True faith, friends, moves into the world without total evidence, but it doesn't move into the world without any evidence. Evidence is important. Jeremiah's radical act of hope in the midst of what looked like a hopeless situation foreshadows another similar act to come. In this elaborately public ceremony that we read about in verses 10 to 15, I want everyone to see this wasteful, imprudent, subversive act that it foreshadows another seemingly wasteful, imprudent, and subversive act, and that of Jesus's elaborate journey into Jerusalem and his confrontation with the overseers of the status quo, those who can't see anything but that which they can touch, but which that they can see, they can feel. And Jesus giving up all for a world that is yet to come in an elaborately wasteful, imprudent, and subversive nevertheless. Just as Jeremiah's actions would only make total sense in the evidence of Israel's return from exile, so Jesus' march down the way of the cross only makes sense in light of his coming resurrection. And for us in our day, a life of faith, of action, of trust, of giving up our hedges, giving up our equivocation, it only makes sense if this if this historical act is our hope, our faith, and that not only did God do it back there with Jesus, but he will do it again with us. There is historicity, there is evidence to place our faith in, but faith is believing without sight of the coming future. 
And that's where it gets difficult because what we are asked to do is to live on the basis of the act of Jesus and the life of Jesus, believing that what is to come is even more beautiful and full than we could possibly imagine. Placing our relational trust is according to the Jeremiah passage, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. God has said in the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus that your buying into hope is a wise investment because you are investing in the world as it will be and as it is already becoming. Let's pray. Father God, we do ask that you would give us eyes to see a future that has not yet materialized. Father, we pray that we would not be foolhardy, but that we would trust your promises in ways that look foolish to the world outside and maybe foolish to our, our own hearts sometimes as we want to cling to those things which give us tangible hope and tangible comfort. God, I pray that you would disentangle our hearts from those things that make us feel safe and yet disintegrate us as persons and as a church. Father, we pray that we would live into the future with great hope and that we would take on the coming challenges of this upcoming season with faith, not simply believing cognitively that what you tell us is true, although that is an essential piece, but that we would take that belief and turn it into action. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.